Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, welcome to Help I Have a Teenager, the podcast that's here to answer all your questions about the new teen age. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jo Lamble. I'm a clinical psychologist and the co-author of a book called The New Teen Age, How to Support Today's Tweens and Teens to Become Healthy, Happy Adults. And I'm the other co-host, Dr Ginny Mansberg. I'm also Jo's co-author of The New Teen Age. I'm a GP and between Jo and I, we have eight adult kids. And Joe, we've got two brilliant questions today. But if you have a question for us, you can email us at podcast at mamamia.com.au or use the anonymous form. You'll find that in our show notes. And Ginny, our first email came from that anonymous form. It reads, hi, my son has recently been diagnosed with ADHD. He's 14. Medication has changed things big time in a positive way and the teachers have noticed. What I'd like to know is what therapies are beneficial to help him regulate impulses and anger bursts, which are now shorter and he apologises straight away, and also tips on how to handle people who judge you when he mucks up. Thank you, ladies. I've found that parents of kids with ADHD get everybody's unsolicited two cents worth. Oh, they shouldn't be on medication. Medication's terrible for them. Oh, you should go to my paediatrician. Oh, they should just be disciplined better. You've got to do a lot of filtering out of all the very well-meaning stuff that is going to come cascading through uh, your ears. And I think that's probably the easier one. Put it through a big filter. See it as coming from the right place. It's not trying to be judgmental, but you are his parent and at the end of the day you are getting him the best medical team you can and the best psychology team you can and it's really you guys and you can't take everybody else's ideas on board because they'll drive you crazy. Yeah, not everybody. I mean, it is surprising, but not everyone does understand neurodiversity and so that might be a gentle way to point out to people because the more we can get the masses educated about neurodiversity, the better we'll all be. So if somebody does make a comment or if you can just say, oh, just a bit surprised. It's just another case of neurodiversity. But- You're so beautiful, Joe. You're <laughs> such an altruist. You're going to actually make everybody interacting with this parent more aware, more kind, more empathetic. I'm all about you just I protecting dream, yourself. Can't I? Yeah, just, dream. just dream. <laughs> Either do that because you also like Joe, a really good person, or be like me, who's a less good person, and just go. You know what? Thank you so much. It sounds like he's got the diagnosis, he's on medication and you're looking at what else could help. And now there are psychologists who have got a lot of experience of working with kids, teens and adults with ADHD. So you can go onto the APS website, the Australian Psychological Society website, and click on the Find a Psychologist link. Then you just enter your suburb, 
and ADHD and the issues and some suggestions will come up. Now, yes, I know it's hard to get into a lot of psychologists, but it is actually getting easier. It is. I've yeah. really noticed yeah. that. As 2023 goes on, there's more opening. So I'm really hoping it is a case of finding someone who has got experience in that area. But what about at home? Because I yep. think sometimes we can give our kids a huge leave pass to kind of do whatever because they've received a diagnosis, whether it be of anxiety or depression or some form of neurodiversity. And then we get the wobbles when it comes to parenting because we think, but I can't because it's only happening because of neurodiversity when the reality is teens are still teens. They will still push your boundaries. They will still act out. They will still try and bond with their friends and favour their peer group over their family group at times. And you've got to find that place where you feel comfortable to be that parent and still have respect for the diagnosis. So what's your advice about finding that kind of really perfect Goldilocks space? By helping as usual. (laughs) So the idea is to help your son explain to him, and this is exactly what a psychologist would or will will do is trying to teach your son to identify when he's first feeling the arousal going up. So is his jaw clenched? Are his fists clenched? Is his heart beating a little faster? Is he getting hotter? It'll take time, but get him to just really tune into his body. Does he feel a bit shaky as in, you know, agitated wanting to move? So if he can notice those signs, then you can teach him, okay, that's great. You've observed it. So now let's take a step back and actually just even by labelling it is giving it a time to say, okay, now do some gentle breathing. Let's just try and calm your system down. So again, I don't want you to have to think you've got to be your son's therapist, but it is good to work with him and highlight the fact that we do all have these early signs. And it might be a bit of trial and error to see what is his best way to reduce that arousal. Joe, you have been such an advocate of cold, you know, grabbing some ice, grabbing an ice pack from the freezer, which can be quicker than filling up a salad bowl with ice and one spoon at a Or driving to the ocean and jumping in it. (laughs) Correct. That can be difficult. But even a cold shower, (laughs) if he can identify his special way of reducing that arousal and actually experiencing it and being mindful as it's happening, being mindful of the arousal symptoms, understanding what his body is doing and why he's feeling those things and why the cold will help and actually experiencing it for himself and understanding that the earlier he can actually take steps to reduce the arousal, the less aroused he'll be, he can actually then take that power back and you're transitioning to him. Now, it might be difficult at school, for example, to get cold. So having a range of different things and the psychologist can help work with you, but where you'll fit in is to sort of have empathy, help him recognise them, help him try a range of different things and be mindful about what's happening in his body. And it's good news, isn't it, Ginny? And the good oh, yeah. news is, yes, we've got some medication here that that's obviously benefiting him. It doesn't benefit all kids, but it's benefiting your son. So that's great news. And the rest of it, he has got some control over it. He can learn that control. So he doesn't have to hope that the whole world sets itself up so he never has to you know, give in to any of these impulses. He can learn to recognise, step back and 
and use some strategies to calm his system down. It is often easier to calm our system down than to calm our thoughts down because our thoughts, especially with an ADHD mind, are all over the place and racing. So if you're trying to just say, hey, <laughs> stop and think about it, that's yeah. not going to work. Yeah, but cognitive behavioural therapy <laughs> might not be step one. <laughs> well, not the cognitive part anyway. The behavioural part, yes. And so that's often the easier part that you can say, don't try and think your way out of this, try and reduce the arousal level in your body. And the absolute best news is that he has you as a parent because you get it. You've taken him and got the medication, which is a big step. A lot of parents don't do that and don't want to do that. And you want to help him. So I think his best asset in all of this is you. If you'd love unlimited access to everything women are talking about right now, subscribe to Mamma Mia. An annual Mamma Mia subscription includes online access to every Mamma Mia event, subscriber-exclusive stories, podcasts and videos from Australia's leading independent women's media brand. And this was a great question, Joe, that came in from Laura. Laura says, recently my tween and teen have asked me to sign them up for an extracurricular activity. Unfortunately, to my exasperation, they turned up for the first day and hated it. I've asked them why, and the first one's having trouble making friends there. The second one just doesn't enjoy the activity. They have since begged me to pull them out. They have both been to and still go to extracurricular activities that they really enjoy. Obviously, these activities cost a considerable amount, and I don't want to waste my money. Putting my annoyance aside, would it just cause more harm than good if I continue to force them to go? Or what if they change their minds and end up enjoying it? Oh, love the podcast. We love you. Thank you for that. Joe. this is really difficult because I kind of get here's this amazing parent who's prepared to, at enormous cost, pay for these things that the kids have asked her to. She's listening to her kids. She's supporting their choices. And then it's like they don't really care about what it costs. They're just like, no, I don't want to go. And you are caught between wanting to support them and wanting to kill them. Well, well, not it, literally, but you know. But it is common, isn't it? Yeah. Our kids can nag us to do something and then we give in, pay up, and then they hate it. A couple of things here. I mean, generally speaking, it is good to reinforce commitment. If we commit to something, then we want to follow it through. Whereas if we just commit to something and pull out, then others may suffer. Now I'm talking to you, Harry, with your trombone and you, Savannah, with your trumpet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they were agonising, well, an agonising year. But anyway, and the other thing I think it's important to point out is to learn that we don't have to enjoy everything. You know, life is not a hedonistic ride where all we're aiming for is to make sure everything is enjoyable. So, you know, there might be some other things you get out of it, you know, so you might learn something, you might learn to be more tolerant of other people, you might actually be able to help somebody. So to just point out, yeah, hold on, this activity you may not be really enjoying, but is there anything else you might be getting out of it? So make sure you have a general chat about all of that. But having said that, our kids today are doing too many extracurricular oh, activities. Yeah. So if you can use this as a good springboard to say, okay, great, well, let's just stick to the ones you're doing and you are getting something out of and I am not just going to agree to anything else you suggest <laughs> straight off the bat because it's proven that maybe you're just doing too much. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth having a conversation with them. You've said tween and teen, and sometimes they are very little to have these kind of conversations. But I think it's important for them. I wouldn't mention the money because I think money is something that really freaks out us parents. And I hear you. I've gone through times where the electricity bill made me have a panic attack. Like I'm not dismissing that fear, but we don't want to put our fear of money things onto our kids. So I'd probably leave that out of it. But I think is it possible to know whether you like an activity after having attended once? And it's possible that it might take, you know, we say with a food, you have to try it 10 times to make a decision that you don't like that food. So they might try cauliflower once and say, ooh, yuck, but they have to try it 10 times because that's what we know. Science tells us they need to try it 10 times before we know. And it might be a reasonable thing to say. And even adults, it takes us six months to know whether you like a new job or not, because at first you're thinking, what have I done? I don't want this job. So it might be worth having a conversation about, is it reasonable to have such a fixed position on this? after one time. It's very difficult to walk in and you don't know anybody. And to say that they're all mean after one try, possibly you haven't given them a fair go. So to have that conversation and also to have a conversation of if you said you want this, but it turns out you hadn't done a lot of research and you didn't really want it, how should I respond next time you come in and say to me, and mum, we really want to do tennis? What should I do then? Because put it back onto them. Perhaps they need to convince you that they are worth listening to and perhaps this trying it for one time and deciding they don't like it is not necessarily going to help you go with them next time. So maybe we just leave it for a few years, but maybe put it back onto them. What do you think, Jo? I think that's a great idea to just, you know, you don't want to hold it against them forevermore, but yep. you do want to gently remind, that's you, Harry, with the trombone and you, Savannah, with the trumpet, that um, <laughs> no matter how, I don't know why I fell for it the second time. <laughs> I said, no, no, but I really want to really And Jade the with trumpet. the guitar. Right. I don't know where that guitar is. <laughs> Apparently she left it at school. <laughs> We know where you're coming from, Laura. We really do. So, yeah, I think it's more the case that these things can happen and we can use them, not to throw back at them, but just say, hey, look, we all learned a lesson from that last one. So can we just all pause? And we'd like to hear your clear argument on why this is a good idea to agree to that one. And the other thing, you say your tween and teen have, you know, I don't know if it's the same activity, but one might like it more than the other. And so perhaps they don't have to do everything together. So that might make it easier too. But as Joe and I always say, less is more when it comes to after-school activities. Definitely. But that's all we've got time for this week. If you like this show, we'd love you to leave a review or rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. This show is produced by Tia Usage. I'm Joe Lamble. I'm Ginny Mansberg, and we'll see you next week. 